Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, you're a fan of Mr. Show, right? The old sketch comedy series? It's not that old, is it? It's, it's you know, it's uh, it's mature. Yeah, God, no, it makes me feel old. That show's probably about 20 years old now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but it still holds up. It really does. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone, I'm Ben. Uh, this is Ridiculous History, and we are joined, of course, with our super producer, Casey Pegram. Casey, are you a fan of Mr. Show? It's my favorite show ever. Is that really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. It's a very, very influential show. I think he's being sincere. I oh, yeah. think you're being sincere. I am sincere. being sincere. I f- love that show. I can't, can't use that part. No, you should, you should beep yourself. Uh, but yeah, it's great. That's Casey on the case. Wow. That's, yeah. that's he, passionate. He brought the gavel down on that one, my man. He sure did. He sure did. What does Mr. Show have to do with this Tur show? Oh, good. And I'm so glad you asked. Well done. I think we should just play the clip. Let's do it. Thank you very much. We have an announcement to make uh, on July 4th of this year. America will blow up the moon. We have the technology. The time is now. Science can wait no longer. Children are our future. America can, should, must, and will blow up the moon. Yes, and we'll be doing it during a full moon, so we make sure we get it all. So what you just heard was the beginning of a sketch in Mr. Show uh, wherein two guys from NASA announced to great fanfare their plan to blow up the moon. Awesome. <laughs> right? And it seems so ridiculous when I, when I first saw it, and I imagine when everybody else first saw it, uh, we just assumed that these were brilliant comedy writers, which is true. Yeah, it is true. And I don't even know if they were aware of the story because I don't think it really came out until well after that episode was done. Um, or at least, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that, that this would not have been widely known information at the time. Um, but yeah, sure enough, um, a handful of years ago, a physicist by the name of Leonard Rifle did an interview where he kind of spilled the beans on a little something called Project A119, which was a Cold War era plot 
not really a plot. It was more of like a weird nuclear fireworks display yeah. um, to, yeah, shoot a nuclear missile into the moon to freak out the Russians. Yeah, they uh, they wrapped it in a couple of slightly more scientific-sounding terms. They called it a study of lunar research flights or something that would help in answering, quote, some of the mysteries in planetary astronomy and astrogeology. And freak out the Russians. That was the main thing. They were like, you know what we should do? We should just make a clearly visible nuclear explosion on the moon because Russia can see it and, you know, That'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, that was their planning phase. Carl Sagan was in on it. Uh, he was he was a wee young tyke when this was happening. I think he was still in school at the time. This was in 1958, and as you said, Noel, this did not come out until 2000. The documents detailing the project were secret for a little less than 45 years, and even today, the U.S. government does not recognize this. They don't officially admit it because it sounds so ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, that Mr. Show probably was in like what, the late 90s? Oh, wow. Casey? So, yeah, it's like mid mid to late 90s. Yeah. So they, did, they didn't know. Wow. Total parallel thinking. Good job, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross and the team of writers who made that show possible. Yeah, you know, the way people say um, headlines today you can't tell if it's like the onion or not yeah there's there's been numerous times where mr show is like eerily predicted the future he you were go you were doubling down on mr show my friend now we got a second installment of casey on the case <laughs> right so we're so blessed today i know we're we're doubling up right we're case rich we're casey rich my my Grinch heart just grew three sizes. I can see it in the little frame. It just burst out in your chest. Yeah. Still pretty dark, though. Uh, Dr. Leonard Reifel was, I believe, 73 when he gave this interview in 2000. That is correct. Yeah. And he says himself that despite their stated aims on paper, quote, it was clear that the main aim of the proposed detonation was a PR exercise and a show of one-upsmanship. The Air Force wanted a mushroom cloud so large it would be visible on Earth. Because the U.S., according to their own estimations, was lagging behind in the space race. Was he, like, from Chappaquiddick or something? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. He was, uh, I just want to, you know, spice up the voice a little bit I like in a it. believable way. I like it. No, I was, I was there with you. Uh, <laughs> and so this whole idea of one-upsmanship, though, Ben, this was a yeah. theme. This is kind of what the Cold War was all about, right? Because mm -hmm. it was like, we got nukes, you got nukes. Who's going to do what first? You know, we're going to develop a nuclear submarine. We're going to develop a nuclear submarine. I think I saw, read in one of these, I think in the Vice article by Harry Cheadle, that at one point the U.S. was considering um, developing a, a nuclear-powered spaceship. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, we weren't doing so hot in the space race because Sputnik was a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And we had not yet gone to the moon. And so we were desperately kind of trying to scrabble for purchase and showing our might right. over the Russians in some way. What better way to do that than to shoot a missile at the moon? Mm hmm. I said, wow, who's that? It must have got crazy in that pitch they meeting. must have been doing so much blow. <laughs> It's, you know what? It does sound like it was it was something along those lines of people just stuck in a room. So this this research conduct the team that we're talking about, by the way, uh, there were ten people in it. They were led by Leonard Rifle at the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago, and what they were tasked with studying was the potential visibility of the explosion, 
any benefits to science, and, as well, implications for the lunar surface. Now, Carl Sagan was just kind of uh, in the camp of the benefits to science segment, I believe. He was looking at the way dust particles would behave. No, maybe that was more about how it would look. Uh, Maybe a combination of the two. I think it was, yeah, because you're spot on. He was attempting to build a mathematical projection of how a dust cloud in space around the moon would work and whether that would obscure the visibility of the explosion. That was one of the big questions. So it was both the implication for the surface of the moon and the visibility. Initially, they said, let's use a hydrogen bomb. But the problem was, from the Air Force perspective, that a hydrogen bomb was going to be too heavy to be useful. So then they tried to use a small, lightweight warhead that had a 1.7 kiloton yield this is when they had developed intercontinental ballistic missiles, right? Yeah, ICBMs. So, mm-hmm. so hitting the moon with, uh, with the right type of missile is not as tough. It's just the big question is, will it be visible? No, and they, 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 I mean, there is no doubt from, from, from reading these interviews with Rifle that this was within the realm of possibility to accomplish. There was, of course, that slightly nagging concern of what if there's a malfunction and the, the rocket kind of crashes back into Earth or like slingshots off the moon or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, certainly rife with potential problems. Um, but where what, what happened next? So at this point, they're, they're still evaluating this, and they think, they think they've come up with a plan. So just for contrast, this warhead that they decided to use, the W-25, it is a very low yield. 1.7 kilotons, I said, for comparison, Little Boy, the bomb that was dropped over Hiroshima in 1945, was between 13 and 18 kilotons. So this is not as big as bombs we've already dropped here on planet Earth. They thought, okay, we can hit it at the dark side of the moon, the hidden side of the moon. The dust cloud from the explosion will be lit up by the sun, and you can see that from Earth. And due to, as you said, Noel, the development of ICBMs, they believed that they could make this launch feasible by next year, by 1949. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. 
Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. How big is the moon, Ben? How big is the moon? I have a feeling. How, wait, how, how big is it? The moon's actually only 6,786 miles in circumference, mm-hmm. whereas the Earth is 24,901 miles. So I, the reason I'm asking this, yeah. uh, it's, it's all very silly questions, um, but, you know, I would think, couldn't this, like, cause problems with, like, the tides and stuff? I mean, it not the moon responsible for regulating the tides? And if you damaged it or mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess a nuclear blast wouldn't blow up the moon. That's a misnomer. It would just oh, cause yeah. a big old crater. I, I looked into this. Mm. Okay, so first off, we know that they just wanted to make a visual splash. They just wanted to scare the moon a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but if they attempted to actually blow it up, it would take much, much, much more than the nuclear armaments that we currently possess, or especially that we possessed then. Uh, people have estimated that, first off, to blow up the moon, you would need uh, 600,000 of the largest atomic weapons ever built, the SAR Bomba, the Soviet RDS-220 hydrogen bomb. It's the most powerful explosive that's ever been detonated, ever, by humankind uh, back in 1961. We'd need 600,000 of those. Not only would we need 600,000, we couldn't shoot them from Earth. We would have to dig into the moon, distribute them evenly, and then detonate them, which would take centuries. Nobody's going to do that. That is a scale of international cooperation that has never existed. Or like something like some kind of a fictional supervillain might consider doing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a Doctor Doom thing. Uh, But... This did remind me of something we were talking about off air that uh, we thought you would enjoy, fellow ridiculous historians. The author Neil Stevenson in the book Seven Eves takes a hard sci-fi look at what would happen if the moon actually exploded. And he does it in a way that uh, is not a spoiler for the book, uh, for the plot of the book, rather. So I think we're okay to read this. But If you consider these things spoilers, then this is your official warning. Uh, Noel, can you help me out with a spoiler countdown? A three, a two, two, a one, a spoiler time. Okay, so the first sentence of Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves is, the moon blew up without warning and for no apparent reason. That's That's how the novel starts. But what people quickly find is that when the moon blows up, pieces of it remain and they start falling toward earth so in in the story seven eves the moon breaks up into about seven more or less equal size pieces and for a while they just orbit earth but then two of the pieces collide and that causes a fragment that makes future collisions more likely and it keeps repeating 
at an exponentially growing rate until Earth is under this constant bombardment from meteorites and they wipe out almost all life. The sky is ablaze. Dang, that's intense. So it's, it's not a good idea for us to blow up the moon, just in case anyone was on the fence about that. But one thing I thought, uh, I thought was interesting, too, is the idea that just detonating a nuclear device, even a relatively small one on the moon, could have effects on certain aspects of it, right? I don't believe that single missile deployed from Project A119 would be powerful enough to alter orbit. Or maybe I'm just being hopeful. I hope it wouldn't. Me too, Ben. <laughs> Me too. But Ben, did you read that the Russians had a counter plan to blow up the moon? I'm just going to keep calling it blowing up the moon because it just sounds way more it's badass. It's way more fun. Detonating a nuclear device on the surface of the moon. What, what's, the, uh, what's the Russian equivalent? What were they kicking around? Well, Ben, the Russians' plan, uh, according to a cool article in the New York Post called USA and USSR plan to nuke the moon out of existence— <laughs> That's a little hyperbolic there. Sure. I like it. Theirs was called um, Project E4, and um, their idea was to hit the moon with their own missile, but there were, you know, same pitfalls as, as, as our issue and this, this fear that the, the missile could, like, boomerang off the moon and, you know, come back and hit the, hit the Earth or that it could, you know, mm -hmm. mal malfunction in mid-flight and fall down on the heartland, Missouri or something like that. Who knows? This is just the dumbest or Moscow Cold War competition ever. No, it's 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 uh it's as you would like to put it, cartoonish, Ben. It <laughs> yeah. Really, it really is. It's like some seriously Looney Tunes bananas business. Now in the USSR's defense, they sort of eased into it. Uh, I'm saying that because this was part of a series of proposals, all of which bore the code name E. Project E1 was just like, here's how we're going to reach the moon. E2 and E3 were like, okay, once we reach it, here's how we send a probe to the dark side of the moon to take some photos. And then E4 was like, here's how, stay with me, we launch a nuke at the moon. And who knows, maybe it was another room of 10 people just walking around going, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. Okay, a probe's good, but you know what we should do? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, Ben. <laughs> I do know what you mean. And, you know, it'd be pretty cool to go outside and have, like, a moment with the family where, like, kind of like watching an eclipse, <laughs> you know, where you, you watch the mushroom cloud appearing on the moon. That'd be pretty intense. Be, I think it would really instill some national pride in us, you know, that we're a smart country who does smart things while we for well, good reasons. Yeah, while we were still able to think those things, right? Well, the Vice article makes a really good point about how, like, in the same way we're experimenting with drones so much and everyone's just so hot for the new technology that we have now yeah. militaristically that the generals and the folks in charge at the time were really into exploring the power of nuclear energy. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too. You know, everybody's so excited about this new technology. I mean, look at all the ridiculous things that we are attempting to do with drones, both in the commercial and private and public service sphere. But you know what's most disturbing to me about this story with Project A119? It's not that it didn't happen. It's that the head scientist isn't sure why it never came to fruition. That's in the Vice article as well. He says he was horrified that such a gesture to sway public opinion was ever considered. And we've, you know, on a couple of different shows here at How Stuff Works, uh, you and I both have 
dove headfirst into very strange plans by Uncle Sam to do one ridiculous thing or another. What was it? There was the bat bomb. There was the cyber cat spy. There was the, uh, what they called the gay bomb. They had some terrible ideas. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of harebrained schemes throughout military history, and this was one that I was not personally aware of, and uh, one of the harebrainedest. Well, let's say that you are listening to this episode, and you have uh, you have been sold on the idea. You respectfully disagree with your pals here at Ridiculous History, and you say, you know what, I've thought about it, and we should blow up the moon. We should at least try our best to knock the crap out of it a couple of times with some nukes. I mean, the moon's got it coming. Look at that face. It's got the most punchable face It always just pushes space. you. It's just pushing. I like how we're anti-moon now. Yeah, man. The moon. You ever seen the mighty Boosh? I have. You know, the, the moon? It's like, I'm the moon. <laughs> He's kind of an idiot. Well, I, you know. Yeah, he doesn't deserve to get nuked, though. Does not deserve to get nuked. No one does. And that's why for those of us who support the plan to blow up the moon... Today may be a tough day. This might be a tough episode because you see not only did the project never come to fruition, but it will probably not happen for the immediate to mid-future because in 1967, the United Nations Outer Space Treaty banned the use of nukes in space, making any study of nuking the moon illegal. Nukes in space. Uh, the heady days of the 50s to the early 60s. That's true. So now we know why there is still a moon. <laughs> that's great. That's, I'm, you know, that's a great I, point. I, all the trash I've been talking about the moon, I'm kind of glad to have it. It I is nice seeing it up there. I love it. And we recently had a blood moon as we recorded this episode. Did you catch that? Did you do any weird pagan rituals that night, Ben? Nah, nah, just the normal. Normal ones? Normal rituals. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac Bonneville. Yeah. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental 
part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And so that is our story of the moon. I know. And it's a little light, but you know what? It's, it, it was it was self-contained. We hit all the boxes. We talked about blowing up the moon, you guys. You got to hear a Mr. Show clip. What more do you want from us? How about a little listener mail? Okay, so our first one comes from Kamira Inn. And Kamira wrote to us and said, Howdy, I enjoyed the podcast, but I tend to skip around to random episodes. Only started listening earlier this year, so there's still a lot of backlog for me, too. I think we only started making this earlier this year. Has it been that long? I don't know how long it's or been. Or that short? Casey, how long have we been doing this show? How long have we been sitting in this room? Let's see. The first episode came out October 24th, 2017. Whoa. So it's been a minute. It's almost a year. Look at us. Well, anyway, so Kamir says, I just listened to your recent Napoleon Bunnies episode. The Bunnies story was totally hilarious, and I had to relate it to several of my friends, but I also is super charmed with the anecdote about Napoleon's maybe crush on the czar and people shipping them. Since you said you were curious and thick about the two of them, I went spelunking, and sure enough, something came up although several of them were in languages other than English. It does seem it's much more popular to ship Napoleon with Arthur Wellesley, though. Fic writers do love them some hate shipping. Anyhow, here are the fics I did find with Napoleon and Alexander that were in English. Not that I have read them fully or can vouch for quality. Ha ha. Uh, and she posted one of these fan fiction links, and then she posted a sequel, and then uh, she posted another another fan fiction and says in this one quote napoleon bonaparte works at thomas jefferson's strip club and falls for his co-worker arthur wellesley uh, though it says it contains some napoleon alex stuff as well i loved your episode on the history of mooning which i listened to earlier tonight thanks again for producing such an enjoyable podcast kamira thank you for checking out the show and doing that research for us I will, you know, I'm I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this stuff probably isn't my thing, but I am going to read through to see if there is uh, one that is safe for work. And if it is, we'll go ahead and post it on Ridiculous Historians. What do you think? Have you seen that Ben and Noel fanfic that's floating around out there? I have not. I have not. Did you write it? Pretty steamy. Did you write it? No. <laughs> Maybe. There's not, though, right? There, there's not. I'm not going to say. Oh, man, the tension. 
Okay, who's next? Next, we have a quick one from Rex Wesley. R. Uh, great name. Um, he just says, had to chime in on some listener mail you got about accents. As someone who was raised in both Georgia and California, I was usually told I had one when I was in California. But when I was in Georgia, I would get grief for not having one. Uh, I have not lived in the South for many years now and have lost it until... I have had some drinks. So kind of along the same lines of what we talked about. Then it seems to come out uh, with a vengeance. Thanks for the show, Rex. Yeah, I saw that as well. Thank you so much, Rex. And uh, I imagine that you are not alone in that experience. There, I, I've seen, I've got some friends who uh, sound pretty neutral in their American accents. But if they have a couple of drinks or a couple of glasses of wine, they sound like Boston townies like that. Okay, I had to bring this one up because I think you've seen this too, Ben, but this is really interesting. It's uh, called Thoughts on the Malior Wildlife Refuge. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still flummoxed on the pronunciation of that. Mal, I'm going to say Malior. The Malior Wildlife Refuge episode plus a little Blink-182 says, hey guys, love the podcast and many others that you have your hands in. If you can make it all the way to the end of this email, you shall find a funny nugget regarding an episode from one of your other shows. Wait, wait, point of order. I thought we were reading short ones. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna sum, to summarize <laughs> this one. It's mainly because it's like some bullet points. I think it's This is a great one, yeah. I think it's very interesting. Uh, it says, I just finished your episode on the Wildlife Refuge and felt compelled to immediately write to you. I imagine you've gotten some thoughts about this. We have indeed uh, got some thoughts on this one. Um, but I'd like to throw my two cents in because I believe in the absolute core of my being in the importance of preservation of all protected land in the U.S. And I suppose because of this, I felt this episode surprisingly problematic and scary. I will try not to make this too long, but a couple of points that are burning behind my eyeballs. Uh, once a way to remove protections is found, this opens up a disastrous can of worms that could spiral out of control, especially under this administration. First, it's as innocent-seeming as letting cows graze, and the next thing you know, someone's figured out how to get oil out of Yosemite. Secondly, preserving the biodiversity of ecosystems surrounding farmed land is essential to being able to farm that land. Uh, it, it, I, I hate to be a cliche, but it is quite literally a delicate balance, and once that is disrupted, that domino effect would absolutely lead to problems with the plants and animals that farmers rely on. Great point. What's the solution? Sustainable and responsible farming practices. Use the land responsibly rather than barrel through and then ask for more. Look at Easter Island, for example. The running theory is that the people on that island used up every last resource they had, and then they pretty much all died or left because they couldn't sustain themselves anymore. Bad plan. Uh, those are really the points that I wanted to get to. I think this is really um, interesting and something we did not really discuss in the episode, the idea of the benefits. We, we discussed some of the sure. pitfalls of, of some of this preservation, but not so much maintaining that biodiversity. I think that uh, ecosystem point is essential, and I'm really glad we got that on air. Uh, I think this is also worth it, Elise. Uh, I, I, I think you have a great story about Tom DeLonge. You want to do that one, Ben? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So, Elise, you say about five years ago, I just moved to LA. I went to one of their last concerts as the former Blink-182. A pal of mine was their agent at the time, so after the show, a handful of us went to the green room for post-show business stuff or whatever it is they do. We plopped down for a BS sesh. It's a cool phrase. In Tom's dressing room, and I saw that he had a stack of space books and the TV was just playing loops of space videos. At some point, knowing Tom's affinity for aliens, I began to ask about what was on the TV and was immediately met with a chorus of No, 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 From everyone there who knew him, they said, Do not get him started on space. So Elise goes on to say she 
managed to avoid that, but Tom DeLonge was a really nice guy and a little bit weird, but overall very endearing. So this was a great letter with some important points, some amusing anecdotes, uh, and to explain for anybody who hasn't checked out our other show's stuff, they don't want you to know, we recently did an episode on Tom DeLonge, uh, who has quit Blink-182 to pursue uh, his beliefs about unidentified aerial phenomenon full-time. That sounds about right. It does sound about right. Yeah. And it also sounds like the other guys in Blink-182 were kind of being bullies to poor Tom. Mm. So, you know, let that boy have his space. Yeah, and this concludes our listener mail. But not our show. Let us know what other strange, secret, hopefully hilarious... Uh, Cold War plans you have happened across in your neck of the global woods. It doesn't have to be just U.S. stuff. We would love to hear a weird plan from Australia, New Zealand, wherever. You can make these suggestions on Ridiculous Historians, our Facebook page, on our Instagram, on our Twitter. You can email us directly where we are ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. As always, we'd like to thank our super producer, Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, Christopher Hasiotis, our researcher extraordinaire, and we'd like to thank you. See you next time. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.